0: Hello and welcome to Think Like a Game Designer. I'm your host, Justin Gary. In this podcast, I'll be having conversations with brilliant game designers from across the industry with a goal of finding universal principles that anyone can apply in their creative life. You could find episodes and more at thinklikeagamedesigner.com. Today, we have a very special episode for you. I am speaking with Alex Watkins, who is now head of Organized Play for Stoneblade Entertainment. Prior to that, he was head of organized play for Fantasy Flight Games, running events for things like KeyForge and X-Wing all around the world. He's based out of Europe and so was organized play manager for all of Europe for Asmodee. He has so much amazing experience running organized play events. And as soon as I met him, I knew I wanted him on our team to help manage and lead the team for Soulforge Fusion and our other games here at Stoneblade. So as you're hearing this... SoulForge Fusion is live now all throughout North America and Australia. We have a little bit longer for Europe, but the product is available. You can go to soulforgefusion.com, find our store locator, find stores near you, and you'll be able to play in all kinds of really cool events. And so we dig into that in this episode. We talk about Alex's origin story and how his volunteering and getting involved led to his career. We talk about all of the cool ideas and different elements that have come together to make SoulForge Fusion organized play, unlike anything that's out in the market. If you want to know more about Soulforge Fusion specifically, you can also listen to the previous podcast that I did with Richard Garfield, who was my co creator of Soulforge Fusion. We designed and worked on this project together, and it's really incredible. I mean, the gameplay is something I'm so proud of, right? I've worked on this game for over a decade, and I think we've built something that's unique, that uses new technology to algorithmically generate decks, that uses that ability of combining those two two different half decks together to form your playable deck. There's all kinds of cool things you can do, like scan your deck into your online account and play online through Tabletop Simulator. You can join our Discord and find friends and find people to play there. Our organized play supports not only physical play, but online play. There's ways to level up your deck. There's ways to get extra bonuses for running events and cool exclusives for being an ambassador to the game, um, what we call Forge Guardians to come in. There's so much cool stuff here, and it was great to just get to talk to Alex and unpack it all. So there's plenty of great lessons in here for those of you that just want to learn the lessons and understand what goes on. There's a lot of deep insight about what's important, right? When we're building games like Soul Forest Fusion, it can't just be a great game. Like that, It has to be a great game or nobody's going to want to play it. But it also has to be a great community. It has to be a great way for you to get engaged and stay engaged and bring your friends in and create a life around it. It's the same way that I did back in the day with Magic, the same that we've done by having Ascension running for over a decade, 12 years now. Right? We want SoulForge Fusion to be here a decade from now. So if you haven't had a chance yet... Go to your local stores, check out Soulforce Fusion or go to soulforcefusion.com to find out more or join our Discord. But in the meantime, I hope you really enjoy this deep dive to a great person, a great mind, and a great member of our team, Alex Watkins. Hello and welcome. I am here with Alex Watkins. Alex, I'm excited to have you on the podcast, man.
1: Hey, uh, it's I'm very happy to be here. It's nice to nice to chat to you. Not that we don't chat much, but
0: uh, it's nice yes, to be here. yes. So we do chat a lot. So I'm going to tee this up, right? Alex is the head of organized play uh, for us at Stoneblade and has been running and building incredible plans for our soul forge fusion in particular which as of the launch of this podcast is live uh you can get it in stores throughout north america uh i think probably australia is live and uh europe and other places are coming soon we have uh if you want to find out where to buy it you can go to SoulforgeFusion.com and then there's a store locator and uh it's but selling the game and creating the game, I've talked about elsewhere. There's I have a podcast with Richard Garfield, who we co-created the game with, and there's tons of really exciting details about what makes the game awesome. But what I wanted to talk about today uh, is, and the reason why I brought you on, Alex, is because you have created some incredible organized play programs for us. And games like Soulforge Fusion, they live or die based on the, the, the communities that build around them. And organized play is a huge part of what builds those communities, that ability to get together with friends at a local store or at conventions, or even motivations to get around, you know, the kitchen table together to play. So this becomes the kind of thing that you really can get joy out of, not just for the day you buy it or the month or the year you buy it, but for years and years and even decades to come, right? This is kind of what's connected us all. So, you know, before we get into the, the details and all the exciting stuff that's happening with SoulForge Fusion, I'd like to introduce the audience to you a little bit you know you've been in this industry for a very long time uh, i'd love to kind of hear uh, a little bit more let people know about kind of how you got started and a little bit about your background and then we can kind of catch up to today and uh, all the cool stuff we're working on
1: yeah that, that sounds good i think um like uh like a lot of people in the industry i, I was introduced uh, through uh, a bit of warhammer a bit of uh, magic the gathering backing back in the day when i was younger uh i think it was a uh, Family Holiday to Greece and there was a couple playing Magic the Gathering by the pool and uh, they introduced me to it when I was probably way too young to be playing the game uh, but uh, <laughs> this was enough to get me hooked early on um, and I guess it's always been a thing of mine like I've always had gaming as a side project like sports been a big part of my life growing up but um, I still have my gaming friends uh, played 40k for a long time back when the the Elder was still called Elder and they were uh, they were actually good um, I, but, was, um, I was a
0: ter- I was a Terranid player myself so yeah I hate
1: okay it. <laughs> I used to field a horrible 500 point built army that was just stupid um, but <laughs> they, they, they shut that down quite quickly um, but uh, as far as kind of career go- goes um I think it was about 2013 I joined the industry, okay, officially. Uh, before then, I'd been volunteering, helping out events at my local game store. Um, everything that they would do, I'd be involved somehow, whether it's an open play day to running Friday Night Magic and everything in between. Um, I was down there helping out.
0: Uh, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to just justice. pause there. I want to pause there for a second because, you know, it, it's one of the things I try to do in this podcast is sort of tease out these principles and things that people that want to get into the industry can use. And, and just, you know, the importance of that, just like volunteering, helping out at your local game store, finding the things you're passionate about, starting to run events, starting to add value to the community and doing the things, you know, for free, just because you love them that then end up period creating these opportunities for you to, to step into a career. So I, I just think it's a great principle to kind of stop on. Um, but then, uh, now as you kind of transition to, to make doing this professionally, uh, you can continue with the story. I just, I just like to kind of yeah, highlight well, some points here.
1: It's a great point. And actually the, 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 my kind of segue into the from that into the, into working industry is I was an environmental consultant. I loved my job. It got a bit tedious at times. Um, but, um, my boss's daughter, uh, son was a Yu-Gi-Oh! player. And while she was looking for uh, play, a place near her to buy cards for her son, she found an events job in the games industry. And she knew that I did that as kind of a hobby in, in my free time. And she said, look, I don't want to lose you, but I found a job that I think is perfect for you. <laughs> um, so I was kind of blessed with a really good boss there who was like, look, I don't want to lose you, but I can't not tell you about this job that you'd be grateful. Um, and then, uh, so I applied. Um uh, got the job and I guess the rest to say is history. <laughs> I started off very much entry level, kind of took took that hit and was like, this is a career change. I'm going to learn as much as I can, work my way up. So it started very much as an entry level events position, had a demonstrator program in the UK that would go into uh, department stores, into bookshops. And demo demo games to help sell them, um, and we do conventions as well, comic cons and, and things like that, like and WorldCon, all the fun, exciting things. Did a um, Destination Star Trek one year as well. It some really cool conventions, but the kind of the the, the emphasis was, you know, let's get into our stores, help our stores sell games. Um, and I built that kind of helped with, with, with my boss, we built that from sort of a demo team of 50, 60 people all the way up to about 180 by the time I left that team. Um, and we had pretty much something going on every weekend of the year somewhere. Um, and it was, it was fun. It was good. It was successful. Um, and it wasn't, it was a couple of years of doing that, um, and what I got asked You see to the success up, of building of
0: building a team like that. Like, what is what are the factors? You know, to building a team that's a, a huge number of people to grow to. What are what are maybe some lessons that you learned, or you know, key things that maybe some interesting stories of things that went well or went poorly as you were trying to scale for the you know a, a team like that for the first time.
1: Yeah, well, it, it was a challenge because um, a lot of what we found is a lot of people who had free time to to do this at weekends would be students. Uh, we had a handful that weren't, and they had their normal day jobs. We even had a, um, a few engineers and you know, fairly well-paid professionals who still enjoyed going to Comic-Cons and, and demoing games at the weekends. Um, and they'd work with us. And, and that challenge was as the as the team grew, we kind of had this, I guess, false mentality that we've got more people so we can do more. Um, but you've still got a lot of people who don't really want to work the weekends near Christmas because they're studying for their exams. And Christmas is a big sell point and that's when we want to run more demos. So you ran into this kind of false belief that, well, we've doubled the number of people so we can do twice as many demos and we'd start telling all these companies that we can do all these demos. And then when it came to actually booking them in, we realized, ah, no, we actually probably need another 50% more in reality to do twice as much work. Um, and so that was an interesting challenge. Um, stretched us very thin the first year we had that big growth. Uh, there's a big department chain in the UK called John Lewis And um, they loved having us come in. We had a really good relationship with them, and they were also really important for us from an analytical standpoint because the way the data is collected in the UK on sales, um, the the data that buyers look at has uh, if too much of that sale, too too many of those sales is through Amazon, it cuts out and disappears. So it was really important for us to grow our john lewis sales and uh waterstones which is book bookshop as well sales because they propped up and reduced that percentage of amazon sales so we were getting quite a lot of pressure on to get those demos in and get them done and sell through those avenues um but at the same time we never trained our team as sales people they were demonstrators and we didn't want to put them in, you know, they weren't doing pressure sales they weren't there to force games down people's throats so it was this kind of always found i was kind of in the middle ground between the higher up saying we need these sales and the and the, and the message we we're saying to our team is, make people enjoy the games. Sales aren't important, but they are. And and that that message was was important to to translate down correctly to the team, so that they were still creating that. Hey, gaming is fun. Look at these games you can buy other than Monopoly for Christmas. Um, but not feel like you're trying to force them to buy something because I don't think that works um, personally in, in that kind of storefront uh, situation. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a really interesting thing. This is you know we're talking about a few years ago in this context, but it's something that you know we talk about a lot as this the world's changed in so many ways where the sales have moved more and more online of course the pandemic pushed that to be near 100% for a few years mm-hmm. but the importance of getting people into stores and supporting that play is something that we you know is uh, you know i believe is still unchanged right the the, the idea that someone's going to discover and love a game Just finding it online, it happens, right? There's some, there's influencers and streamers, and people can see a video and or hear about it in a you know Discord channel or something. But there's just no, no substitute for the local store and a passionate community and people getting together and playing. And so, how do you think about how that's changed in supporting stores today, even compared to when you were doing it, you know, back then in the even eight eight years ago?
1: Yeah, it's it's changed a lot. I think we're still, depending on where you are in the world, we're still in this, uh, like I didn't book an international holiday this year, um, because I was worried that there'd be another lockdown and flights get canceled and maybe the destination I'm going to won't let me in. Um, so even now the kind of post pandemic is still affecting how I make decisions in my life. It's it's affecting everyone still the decisions they make and how often they go out when they go out and where they go. Um, and I think this um, for game shops, it's an interesting challenge because while your local friendly game store, you're probably going to recognise a lot of the people in there. You may feel comfortable seeing them, and you may be like, "This is normal now. I can go and do this." There's still people who aren't, um, and so this, the game stores are going to have a naturally reduced footfall. Not a lack of demand; like the players still want the games, they still want the new hotness, they still want to, they still want to be part of that community. But it's it's not all the way back to how it was 2018, 2019 yet. Um, and that's interesting challenge. If I was running a in-store demo program now, I think it'd be much more challenging. Uh, twofold, I don't think as many stores would want strangers coming in who they don't know, hanging around in the store all day. Um, and I'm not sure many of my people who I had in my team would want to go to a different store every Saturday and Sunday and mix with so many strangers when they're risking getting sick during their exams. That wasn't even a thought before. You know? <laughs> they were just thinking about the extra money they could have and get themselves through the exams um, for the extra work. Um, yeah, I don't. I think it's it's an it's going to be interesting. For I haven't spoken to many game stores this year. Owners, I've spoken to a couple, um, and they're doing well. Don't get me wrong. One was a, a large game shop in London. Uh, I know the owner quite well, and it's uh, he's doing very well. And products coming in, everything's going smoothly again. He feels like it's it's back there, but. I don't know what it's like in America, for example, compared to here. Um, it's uh, I, I wouldn't want to be trying to run that demo program now. Let's just put it that way.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and then this is, you know, as, as an opportunity, I guess, to fast forward a little bit to kind of how we're trying to address this problem with, with Soul Forest Fusion, because it's something, as, yeah. as you know mentioned, we've talked about a ton and we have tried to build a plan that is very flexible for stores and for players, right? Every game of SoulForge Fusion, every deck that you buy can be scanned into an online account and played online via tabletop simulator. We have a very active community in Discord, but we also have built programs that are explicitly for stores that let them run events. Maybe we want to talk a little bit about what that looks like and how we want to drive people to stores while still giving people the option to play and run events however they want. Yeah,
1: absolutely. that was I think mean, we when we first met, I think there was a Um, I think we're right in the same wavelength of what what modern organized play needs to look like going forwards. Um, And there's been a shift. And as a a publisher of a game, you'd be uh, ignorant to not realize that you have to make the changes and and change how things work and, and embrace the digital element. And I know that when you talk to store owners, they're like, oh no, it's going to be a digital game. We're not going to get people to play. But the, the beautiful thing here is you still need the physical decks. So you still need the sales and the stores are still going to sell product no matter how the end user chooses to play the game. And so for me, and I think for you as well, Justin, it was important to create an environment where in the old days you had, I guess, this divide between card game players of kitchen table players and in-store competitive players. And you could break it down further than that, but we'll we'll pick the, we'll split it to two for now. But you've now got a third card game player who isn't kitchen table they're not playing with their friends at home they're playing with their friends online um and to ignore that market and alienate them and make them not feel welcome is crazy to me so we wanted to make sure when we were building this program that all styles of play and everyone people want to get out of this game is available so rewards and prizes are available at every stage of that um and i think the the big driver for that. The thing I really love that I think really unique about what we're doing is our Forge Guardian program. So you you bring people into the game. It's an ambassador style program. You bring more people in. They take part in an official event. You earn a point for that happening. And as you accrue more points, you unlock more rewards. And you may never even step foot in a physical game store because you can play on their online events and trigger all these prizes. And you can even get your likeness in a future card. You know, the, what, what is normally like a world championship style prize like that's now accessible to a kitchen table player and someone who just plays online. Like it's it's unlocked that traditional I have to go and win prizes. I have to be good at the game, otherwise I won't get any cool prizes, and changed it and gone, No, if you're part of this community and you're getting involved and you're playing the game, however that is, you're gonna have an opportunity to get these cool things as well. And that was important to me. I think it was important to you as well, Justin, and I'm excited to see that in our programme.
0: Yeah, it was it was it was Really an exciting thing to build out. And I, you know, before you came on the team, um, you know, it was really, it's, you know, this within this last year, um, then, you know, I had a lot of big plans and we had a lot of these visions, Uh, but having you here has really helped to make things concrete and you're, Extensive experience, which we can get back into uh, as well, of the, you know, in running these events and building programs for multiple different games really came to bear and just made the programs better, uh, cleaner, and have, you know, executed in, in phenomenal detail. So, you know, as we're recording this, right? This is not like the, the game's not out yet. And so a lot of these programs are still <laughs> waiting. And so I can't wait to see this. You know, we're gonna be at launch events on weekend on the weekend of release. And, you know, we were able to run some early events at uh, Gen Con. We did some preview events and the Forge Guardian program has been live for a little while now. But I think like, you know, really trying to get that message out about what we're doing that's never been done before. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons, obviously I wanted to have you on the podcast and it's some things I'm really excited to see how players respond to. Right. So for stores, Mm. they are going to be able to get these, you know, get hobby kits and exclusive promos and cool stuff that nobody else gets to make sure that people want to drive to stores, but if they want to run their events, online we have tools that anyone can use on soulfortrusion.com to run events to at stores can you know, they'll be the stores can register with us so that they'll be sanctioned events and at, at the at the right tier levels and people can they can charge entry fees they can invite people from all over the world if they want they don't have to just keep them in their in their physical store location and so the ability to run those tournaments and have them all feed into the same system i think is really cool the ability for someone who doesn't have a store to just be a ambassador to the game become a forge guardian get rewarded directly with cool stuff just build their own community however they want whether it be at your school at your kitchen table at your gaming club you know the world has changed and every community is different and trying to build a program that supports you know a great game but more more importantly supports great communities and you playing the way you want to play uh, it's something that you know. It was clear when we first met that you had a similar passion about as I do. Because as much as you know, I've, to me, like a great game is the precursor, right? If you don't have a great game, you're not going to get, you know, people are not going to stick around. They're not <laughs> going to come for it because what you know, you're wasting your time. But that's just the the entryway that gets you into the door, which is really community, <clears throat> right? That ability to get together and build lifelong friendships and have these great experiences together, like that's the real payoff in the long run, and that's what we're really building here and that's what you know organized play and games and content and all of it comes together and hopefully to build something that's going to be around you know a decade or multiple decades from now
1: yeah absolutely no absolutely that's um that, and that's what's been so fun about working on this game, and with like-minded people who are who have that vision. Yet yeah, the, the game's great; the game's fantastic. i said when I first met Justin, that I'm the, the the most annoying thing for me about getting involved in the game now is I can't play it competitively because <laughs> <laughs> I was really <laughs> looking forward to picking it up and playing it. Um, so um, obviously, still play it, but I, I'm not going to be able to go to the events because I'm, I'm my team's running them. But um, yeah, yeah, and that that community building and is, is, is absolutely the amount of stories I can think of of times that that I look back on, uh, magic events or Warhammer events that I still to this day talk to my friends about. That's what gaming is to me. And I think that's what it is to a lot of people as well when you break it down.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's some cool other aspects here. Sorry. So we've talked a little bit about the Forge Guardian program. We've talked a little bit about store hobby kits. Um, and mm-hmm. maybe you wanna wanna unpack that a little bit because I know there's a lot of stores that also listen to this program, or maybe if 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 players you have a local store that you wanna get involved, uh, they'll they can contact their distributors and start getting access to this. But let's talk when you talk a little bit about what the what the hobby kit and hobby store support program is like uh, these days.
1: Yeah. So the, the the essentially what it comes down to for stores is there are going to be two kits, uh, and you think and over a season, um, and a season is approximately four months. It's from when a product comes out till the next set comes out. Um, So when the product hits, so as a time of this live, so it's out now, um, stores have access to the launch kit. And that hobby kit is a bundle of prizes. Stores can order as many as is reasonable. Obviously, if they start ordering uh, a number that seems a bit odd, then that might be questioned by the distributor. But as many as they feel is needed to support what they have planned for the game. Um, And in there, you're going to get participation level events. So each kit has prizes for 24 people. So you can Double them up and have one 48-player event. You can spread it out over multiple events in a league and hand those prizes out over weeks rather than a single day. Again, however the store wants to run it in person or online. And that comes from alternate art uh, forge cards, um, minions, all the way up to playmats. And every kit's going to have playmats in as well at this stage. We, we, we think they're a cool prize. Players love them. It really helps with the layout of the game. Um, so the first seasonal kit, which is out as of now, will have uh, 24 minions has uh, eight alternate art Koroks, uh, Forgeborn. It has four alternate art uh, Forge cards, and then two playmats. Uh, it also has uh, support for the judges and the tournament organizers in our Arbiter decks. So we call our judges and our, our tournament support staff Arbiters, and they get a very exclusive deck with an alternate back on. It's only available in these kits, and that's our way of saying thank you for being involved and supporting the game from an organizer standpoint. You get this pretty cool item, um, which I'm really excited. I I want one. I'm gonna have to go and volunteer at my local store. I think to get one. Uh, <laughs> <so I'm> gonna...
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's another aspect that just reflects this philosophy here, right? So my you know my background is probably most people listening to the podcast know is you know as a pro magic player. It's kind of how I got into the industry and paid my way through college, and you know. So I love the the high end competitive events, and we built soul Fusion to have that deep competitive gameplay and strategy. But we don't want to just reward high-end competitive players. We want to reward all of the parts that build a great, healthy community. And that includes the people who are the organizers and the judges, we want to give them specific rewards. It includes the players who bring other people into the game, right, the ambassadors, the forjourners, the people who help grow the community. And making sure that there's something for everybody and you can play the game the way you want to play. If you just want to, you know, buy a couple packs and play a sealed event or you want to go deep and have a deep collection and try to fuse the perfect deck and win our world championships, right? There's something there. Or if you just want to run cool local events or build a build a community around you, like, we have something to reward every player um, to enable them to do the things that they want to do best and the ways that they want to contribute to the community. And so that's been yeah. a big, it's been a big uh goal of ours and it's 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 reflected in a lot of the different ways that we're we're building this program um so i i i I really want to shift to another aspect of this that uh i realized kind of d- i didn't let you go back to your your kind of background the rest of your background oh, yeah. narrative uh so i've got a ton more things i want to talk about so let's 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 dive back because I, I don't want to i don't want to step over your your extensive experience here let's because uh, you've worked <laughs> on a variety of games so maybe we'll talk a little bit more about your your history and then we'll come back to uh some of the other cool things we're doing with our with our programs and stuff that we're working on together today yeah
1: absolutely yeah, I mean, um, I guess the first game I had any sort of loose input on um, was actually the Final Fantasy trading card game. Um I uh, got to meet with Square Enix and talk about uh, all the things I reckon they should do with that game and watch them do the complete opposite. Um, so uh, that was an interesting <laughs> first take. Um, you know, I think I remember saying to them, look, you're not going to help players if your first promos are only available as promos. They should be alternate art. And the first three promos were only available as promos. Went for a fortune, upset a lot of players. <laughs> so um, that was an interesting kind of, Oh, well, like, at least I think I know what I'm talking about. From Yeah, that's a great
0: thing. I'm going to keep <laughs> interrupting your story because part of the fun no, no, of the stories is, to, is the pl- out these lessons because this is something that's a lot it's like a hotly debated topic and has been for a long time and you know there's some games offer exclusive gameplay promos as prizes (laughs) and some games will just offer cool you know more cosmetic all whether it be alternate art or cool little tokens or other things that are you know cosmetically differentiate you but don't differentiate you from a gameplay standpoint so, yeah. what is it that you and I are, I know, think very similarly about this? But just to tease it out for people that are trying to make that decision, you know, for their own games, mm. what do you think? So, what do you think the upsides and downsides are of that exclusive <laughs> gameplay element?
1: So, I think if, you, when done right, the exclusive gameplay element can work. Um, the problem you've got is most companies, most people, when they go that, they, they go down that route. They go, it has to be cool, it has to be exciting, it has to be powerful, it has to be a cool price. And if you make a, say, let's say a card, for example, it's only available if you win a certain event. There's a limited number of them. And you make it very powerful in the game. You're now creating an environment where the best get better and everyone else can't. And they're they're artificially hampered by the fact that they didn't win that event while it was available. They they don't have access to this tool that everyone else has. Um, That, to me, creates a couple of really nice positive experiences for those who got it and a massive wave of negative experience that hugely outweighs the positive. Um, if done correctly, I don't. I believe it can be done in a way where it doesn't, if it's done in a way that doesn't create an overpowered item or something that becomes chase for gameplay, it just straight chase for rarity, I, I can see some value to that. But then you're going to have to know exactly what that is. And the amount of designers I've spoken to who have no idea which the best card is in a set until six months after it's been played, even after all their testing, um, they can get that wrong so that's why i'd shy away from it and i'm much more in favor of enhancing items that people already have so you, so let's take a playmat for an example like you everyone's going to sit down and pretty much everyone's going to bring a playmat to an event if you sit down with a store champion playmat you haven't gained an advantage by having it but you've been able to basically flap it down and be like look what i got how badass am I? Um, without saying anything, you know, kind of that intimidation, kind of <laughs> wow, and jealousy. This kind of, and it's a talking point. Suddenly, you got a conversation. Oh, which store did you win that at? And I came second in mine. And you, suddenly, you're, you're sharing a story about your store championship experience just because someone put a playmat down. down. Um, and that to me is far more valuable than accidentally giving a small number of people an advantage.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, I think that the this this there's this interesting you know trade off of of collectible style games right and soul force fusion is a little different it's a hybrid deck game so you're not like collecting individual cards in the same way but you do have these one of a kind half decks that you can combine together to play and so there's this element of like looking for the perfect deck combination and chasing after things but there's also a piece of integrity i feel like that you want to make everything within our spectrum where everyone has a fair shot at Get either getting things that they're looking for or, and that the power levels are within reasonable bands and when you make a exclusive gameplay item so rare and so hard to get and so that only these you know X people can get it or people that win the then it then it it, it sort of undermines the the kind of integrity of the sport right the integrity of the game to a certain degree mm. uh, that I think is uh the main thing that I feel like hurts it um, I think there's some interesting things that could be fun like giving access to preview cards early, right? So you can get access to it before anybody else by winning an yep. event, but then everybody gets access to it, you know, a month later or something. You know, I think there's some 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 space there that, that could be fun to play in. Um, but I think mm-hmm. in general, making something that's just really, really cool visually, you know, really cool like story point that people can have that people can collect and get excited about, but not so much impacting gameplay is exactly where we want to dial in our rewards. And I don't know how many of them we want to even reveal now, but I have seen some of the stuff you been creating for some of our future (laughs) kits and plans and programs and they are freaking awesome i want some uh and so uh you know i think we got to make i think we got to find we haven't made this yet we need to make a uh you know sb team can play uh series (laughs) (laughs) so that we're allowed to play (laughs) in some tournaments we
1: kind of do one of our online events we're allowed to play in but we'll 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 circle around to that um yeah yeah
0: yeah (laughs) yeah all right so anyway so i so you were uh so this is great we'll go back to back to a video story so you so you gave uh the eight square enix and fantasy flight a bunch of advice they didn't follow you realized that hey they probably should have followed your advice <laughs> and then how did things <laughs> go from there
1: uh, so i then i had to stop working on the uh, final fantasy game c- because i started working with fantasy flight um, specifically because whereas before i was working for the uk distributor of asthma day which meant any title they distribute i could work on i was now working for the studio so i couldn't really touch um the final fantasy game anymore because that would have been a conflict of interest um, so i didn't get to do much more other than the very very early conversations that the person who's Running it now based in Europe, good friend of mine, great guy. They're doing some really cool things. I, I hope the game does well. It's It's got the right people and right passion behind it now. Um, and so, um, yeah, I ended up working with uh, Fantasy Flight Games Organized Play. Uh, so that was quite a vast catalog. It was, here you go, here's nine competitive games to run organized play for um, in Europe. And so it was anything from uh, Game of Thrones card game. Um, we had uh, Star Wars Destiny. Which is another card game. Uh, Netrunner was in its twilight then. I got to do a bit with that before it went. Um, and then the minis games of Star Wars X-Wing Armada and then Legion came along. Uh, and then Keyforge came along. It was this constant conveyor belt of lots of different games, all wanting some form of organized play, all, one, all needing a different organized play, really. Um, all trying to be packed into this one condensed program. Uh, and that was a fun challenge. Um, I got to, so my first, it was, I think it was in November when I accepted the job and I had to run the first European championships in June, <laughs> which had never been run before, um, for eight different titles. Um, yeah, wow. that was, that was kind of a, here you go, go figure this out.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Thrown right into the deep end. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Um, oh, at the so, same time, run some extra events. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So here's, it, this is another interesting area to dive into. So, you know, you had eight different games, all with eight different needs and eight different things, and you have to build programs for all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. and so how do you think about teasing those elements out and what each game needs and I, and I'll make it a little a little uh more relevant to us all uh in the sense that like hey we have right now we have Soulforge Fusion which is we've built extensive organized play plans and we're going to obviously unpacking here and people can find out more on soulforgefusion.com or in our discord there's a discord link on stoneblade.com but uh we also are We've already announced that we're going to be doing a new kickstarter for ascension tactics sequel uh, which is a you know deck building miniatures game and that has its own different types of needs and so when you think about the difference between how you build an organized play program you can either reference your your previous examples from the um, fantasy flight or you can uh, reference our modern ones and, and how you might think about these things differently
1: well yeah absolutely um it's it's um it's interesting, really, because lots of people, From, I think this is a good time to talk about kind of different stakeholders in organized play, um, and you, you can kind of abstract out as far as you want, but the, I think the simplest thing to do is to say, let's split it into publisher, store owner, and player, and say, what do they want out of the game, and find the common denominator. Um, I mean, you could go all the way up to going having fun, or, or being happy, being a common denominator, right? But then... Organized play is the same as a Labrador. So that doesn't really help us. So if we're going too far up and saying that being happy is the thing we're trying to achieve, that's pointless. Um, so you kind of go to the common denominator and the journey you go through is, okay, so let's let's say I'm the publisher, I'm making this game. What do I want out of organized play? Well, I want to sell more products Um, Ultimately, I want to make sure that I'm gaining more players than I'm losing because every game's going to have a natural drop off of players. So as long as I'm gaining more than I'm losing, the community will grow. We'll keep going. So that's kind of what the the publishers, in my mind, is looking for. And as a store owner, um, ultimately, you're only going to support games that sell because you walk into any game store on a Friday night and there's going to be a majority of the tables being used for one game. Um, And if we're, as a publisher, going, hey, we want you to put tables aside for our game, there needs to be a justification, a reason for them to give up the tables for other games. So for a store, they're looking at that game and going, okay, how do I fill seats? Is it filling seats? Is it selling me product? Am I happy that way? And the players, you can split up multiple times, as many other game studios have done, into the the Spikes and and Timmy's. Um, But fundamentally, you can simplify it and say that they want... A community, whether that's a competitive community or a social community and everything in between, they want a community and a game they can enjoy and love, and they're happy to invest their money and time in. Um, And so when you kind of extrapolate up, um, everyone invested wants more sales because that helps everybody. (laughs) It helps the store, it helps the studio, and it helps the players because more sales means more people are playing the game. Um, And that sounds nice and clear cut. But it doesn't necessarily mean the same for every game. Um, so if you then go back to the store owner and you say, okay, how much space for eight card game players versus how much space for eight miniatures games players, now, a traditional miniatures game player that's going to be about four times as much space needed. Um, so the incentive is going to be different. The time required is going to be different. Um, Profitability is probably going to have to be different. The it's it's a delicate balance, and so the store has to be able to know that they're going to have enough people in to charge the right amount for the table to to play their game. So when I'm thinking about the difference between games and what the program should offer, I need to take all of those things into account and ensure that the sales bit is ultimately what we get, but it keeps everybody happy. <laughs> There's no point in us getting lots of sales and no gaming space because the game will die. Um, hence, you know that's why we for, that's why we focus on in store play. Um, so kind of step back again to what's different well with a miniatures game more often than not even the most competitive players aren't there for winning they're there for the story uh they're there for the experience it's normally a longer gameplay period they're normally going to be more sociable and chatty with their opponent than say a card game player who might only be playing 30 40 minutes um and they're more likely to share their story with their friends they came with rather than with their opponent um And so you want to create different interactions. So let's say, let's take a competitive card game. You want quick, snappy, fun formats that are going to get the players focused, thinking, and trying to out-strategize each other in a quick, impactful way. Uh, With a miniatures game, I'd be looking more for a slightly more campaign-drawn-out-style scenario where you get to tell that story with your opponent. Whether it's through I'm beating you and we're telling, I get to tell the story because I won, or whether it's we had this crazy interaction and this all happened and and then everyone piled in, whatever this story becomes, and we have a fun story to talk about that then affects the story of the game even better, um, like it gets passed on and affects the actual future product, then I think that's really valuable in mean, a miniatures game versus a card game. Um, I realize I've just said that while well, creating story for a card game, but Soulforge is very different. <laughs> it's not that kind of. It's not magic. It's it's a different card game. There, um, I, I might have waffled beyond saying what I meant to say there.
0: But. No, yeah, okay. So there's a couple things I'll, I'll unpack here. So so right. The one hand, there's an interesting thing that the the business model of the game dictates a lot of what organized play can be and should be. Right, and so a you know repeat purchase model game that takes up limited store space to play is going to meet need a lot more, you know, organized play and butts and seats to move the ball forward and have something happen. A higher a repeat purchase model, but that's a higher per unit cost Game that takes up a lot of space, like a you know Warhammer 40k type thing, would need less number of people, but that would they need longer and more involved experiences, right? And Mm -hmm. then there's games where they're more boxed games, like a traditional board game, where you're going to buy it once and then you're kind of done or waiting for another expansion to come out, where you really just can't support as much organized play by default because there's not enough incentive for the stores to run it because they're only going to sell so many copies. The players can you know drive you want to drive those players more towards whether it be home experiences or convention experiences or or rarer kind of gathering type experiences at the store. And so there's a there's an interesting inter- interplay between business model and and organized play support and what's going to support those kinds of players. And then you talked a little bit about what players are looking for, right? Like what is it that when I come into a game, what's the promise of the game? There's a there's a certain promise that a game makes to me. Some of that is sort of culturally expected, what I expect from a TCG, what I expect from a miniatures game. And some of that is Explicit f- or implicit with the way that the game is marketed and presented to players. And so, this is one of the things where Soulforge Fusion has been kind of an interesting challenge for us to market and set up because there's no game really like it. Right, like so, you mm. we didn't get to this part in your history, but you you ran organized play for Keyforge, which of course is a is one of the closer parallels, right? That was algorithmically yep. generated game, so every deck was one of a kind, which was was one of the key inspirations for for Soulforge Fusion, but also. Mm-hmm. There was no customization and in fact the cards themselves weren't algorithmically generated in the same way we do and there's a whole different model for how the we have main characters that are are named right or are, are, are forged yeah um that you part- personify so you can be oros or cersei or korok as opposed to in a game like that where there was a more nebulous archon that wasn't, you know, kind of a made up figure uh, that was different every time. And so the mm-hmm. the fact that we have a story that players get to tell in Soulforce Fusion is something we've emphasized in the way we market our game and in the way we market our uh, our organized play and the way people engage with it. So let's let's talk a little bit then, uh, since we've already opened that door, about what storyline play looks like in Soulforce Fusion
1: yeah that's the bit i'm most excited about um so the, one of the great things about Soulforge forge fusion is is this living story that's unfolding as you play the game um and there's going to be multiple opportunities throughout the, the year to have a direct impact on what happens in the story uh so to use uh gen con as a good example that was our first story based event um, the storyline event essentially decided which, what happened to the forge this this is an important part of solace. This is what's essentially keeping them all alive. It's an important force in on 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 solace. And so the so just to just to give a little against.
0: context for those that don't know, right? So, so the world of Soul Forge is called Solace. It is a functionally an ice planet, very inhospitable. And the Soulforge Forge itself is the kind of you know Soul S O L. It's like sun. It's like basically a, this kind of magical sun at the top of a tower that provides light and magic and is the kind of main source of for each of the factions to try to survive and and kind of conquer and dominate the world. So. Yeah, continue just giving some context for those that aren't already familiar with our awesome story, yeah. which they can find on soulforgefusion.com, and there's a story yep. link. But anyway, car- carry on. <laughs> yeah, that would
1: have been useful information to, <laughs> to start off with. Um, so the 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 forge shifted. It changed shape um, based on the results. And so the players could see the four artworks of what the forge could become, what the soulforge could become. Um, and then whichever faction had the better results throughout the, the event earned the right to have the forge, and so it's now a Tempest forge. So everyone who played in that event got a promo alternate art of the new forge to use in their game. Um, And there's a story on soulforgefusion.com of what happened and why the the forge changed, uh, all based on the results of that event. So all the players at Gen Con had a direct impact already on the story. Uh, We're gearing up for Packs Unplugged. Um, where we're going to kick off another story element, which I can't talk about just yet. Uh, it might be in public when this comes out, but I don't want to risk it. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll say yeah. not for now. Um, and the plan is that not only people who go to Packs Unplug, but people who play in the local store for this trigger are going to have some impact on the what happens next um, and set up potentially cards that are going to appear in future sets. Uh, which factions have access to those cards? How they interact, and so you're not just sitting down and playing a card game. You're, you're actively engaging in the world and your choice of which factions you play and which forgeborn, which forgeborn you choose to be a forgeborn and who you represent is going to directly impact the story as well, which is really cool.
0: Um Yeah. It's yeah, something I'm it's, super excited about. It's like something I've—it's been a dream of mine to make a system like this. I mean, the only game I ever I've known that did anything even close to this was uh was the old Legend of the Five Rings game. Um, and mm-hmm. it you know had these elements where people could change the story, and I thought that was just so cool to do. And now because of the digital printing technology that we use with Soulforge Fusion, we can change cards more quickly. We can have we have cool rare drops of flavor text that reveal different parts of the story that people can hunt for and share online and try to piece together elements of the story. The story continually evolves. So when you go to the soulforgefusion.com story link, there's already extra entries in there for what happened at Gen Con. It becomes part of our lore. We have a cool animated video that shows off the story that c- catches up. We have a whole next chapter of the story that you were alluding to that comes with our second set release, which we're not talking about yet, um, but has some <laughs> cool elements to it. Um, and and individual players have the opportunity to to make an impact in the world that is long lasting. And and I will tell you as a as a designer you know, this sounds super cool, but man, oh man, did me make our jobs harder uh, because <laughs> we have to create all of these branching stories and branching card paths and different card designs, most of which will never see the light of day because <laughs> we have to wait to see what the players decide and what they end up doing. Um, but it's also really cool because it gives us the opportunity to just to just play around. Right. So our, you know, where we have our championship events where they're more competitive and we have a, you know, pretty kind of, you know, straightforward rules enforcement and that you want people to bring their best decks with the storyline tournaments we got lots of fun surprises that we throw at players and lots of things that can happen based on the story that will change up the game and do kinds of crazy stuff and so it's just it's just one of the most fun events to do and so so if you are have a chance to come out to pax unplugged uh, it was december 2nd to the 4th uh, alex and i will both be there as well as uh, mm-hmm. the rest of the store stone blade team and we will be having uh the storyline event there as well as a championship event and then as as you alluded to alex we're going to have more storyline events not just at big conventions but also ones that will be happening at local stores that will be able to impact uh the entire global story and so more of details of that are coming but again this is just one of those opportunities right for some of you listening this may not be appealing to you at all you may just want to play competitively you may just want to play at the local store you may just want to be the person that gets all the cool arbiter decks for running events but for some people out there I know this is true because i'm one of these people right you're like oh my god that's amazing like that's what i want to do like i want to get involved and really deep dive into the world and the lore of the story and so You know, we're creating something. This is kind of the underlying philosophy of organized play for me, is right. You create the ability for people to play the way they want to play. You create the ability for people to get immersed in the world to whatever degree that they're excited about and interested in. Uh, you know, because that's the these kinds of games. It's a it's a it's a big tent, and a lot of people, some people are going to be wanting to go and just, you know, be collectors, right? This is all of the decks, not only are is every single deck in Soul Force Fusion numbered so that you know where in the print run that deck is, but every card is numbered. So you know how many of that card have ever been printed when yeah. your card got printed, right? Which is nobody's ever done that before. It's like because we have over 15,000 possible cards in set one alone and they because of the way the algorithm works, that number just exponentially increases i know that with over you know well over a million decks printed there's still a bunch of number ones that are still out there you know and so there's this really cool discovery process and other people are going to be like oh that's cute and don't care about that at all right so (laughs) so trying to really build something that's exciting and appealing for everyone uh has been a a big goal and so i mean look uh, you know you've been working with us for for most of the year alex and i but i've been working on this On soulforge in one form or another for over a decade to build the lore to build the world to build the gameplay to build everything that comes to this and so uh i can't wait i mean literally you know we're having this conversation like a week before launch this is live now when people are listening to it at the launch it's like i'm freaking out like i'm excited to see how people react (laughs) to this stuff so yeah if you guys uh you know you guys are playing like uh share your stories with us please like come to our discord post on social media like show us Tell us what you love. Tell us what you don't love, right? That's the other thing. That's that's the other piece that I think is really important is this, it's a community. And when I say it's a community, I don't just mean like it's a community of y'all, right? It's a community with us. Are you, if you have mm-hmm. ever seen us at a convention, you know how welcoming our team is and how much we take feedback. If you want to join onto our Discord, we're super engaged and super active because we're going to get some stuff wrong, right? So actually, let's you know what? I mean, let's, let's, let's highlight some examples of things that didn't quite go the way we thought they were going to go. The things that we were excited about yeah. didn't quite work. Let's talk about maybe season zero uh we had yeah yeah because i think i think i think it's, it's it's easy to talk about all the exciting stuff and things that are they're that great like the gen con experience was amazing the storyline mm-hmm. was amazing but let's talk about season zero what were we thinking what did we try to do and what kind of how did it actually play out
1: so i think if, when we when we described season zero to everyone who was involved everyone thought this is amazing it's a great idea let's do it um so what season zero was was an attempt to get Stores engage with the game and players involved with the game before it comes out, utilizing the fact that we have Tabletop Simulator so that everyone can play the game now. Um, They can play competitively against each other. We could set up a Discord, host a tournament. And our plan was to get demo decks out to as many stores as possible in North America get them to run in-store demos, uh, even run an event if they want to, whatever they wanted to do to select three players to represent their store. Uh, And then those three players would join us on the Saturday. We'd play like a March Madness style single elimination team event where the end would have one final store be the champion store before the games even come out. And we're going to send them some extra prizes. The top eight stores get some extra prizes to give out to their players at their store, um, the top 16. Um, All in theory sounded great. Um, we had the demo decks go out and then nothing really happened. Uh, no one was really coming back to us. And, and when we started kind of talking to store owners and to the distributors and saying, Hey, what's, what's going on? What's happening? Where, why aren't we getting people signing up? We know the demo kits have gone out. We were hearing some really interesting conversations. Um, lots of store owners going, I don't get it. How can I run a tournament when the game's not out? And not understanding, they don't have to do anything. <laughs> they don't. They're not running the event. We are um, not. Not really understanding that this was going to be an online thing. And it, what we kind of ran into was, and I think this is the best way I could summarize it, is we have a new game with new concepts, new ways of playing it, uh, unique decks, but a deck building element to it as well. There's a lot of new cool things being involved. On top of that, we've got an OP program that goes, hey, we're happy for you to play online. In fact, we encourage it. You know, this is you still, you know, still gonna buy your decks at your stores, but come online and play, run events online. This is all part of our new organized play of the future where we're embracing every style of gameplay. And you mash that together, and it was just far too much information. For the stores and tournament organizers to get their head around because the game wasn't out yet. Had had we tried to do something like that a few months after the game had come out and all of our new exciting things were somewhat normal um, and become normal to the, the tournament organizers and the stores, then I think we'd have had more success with something like that. But I think we ran into way what to us was all very straightforward and very simple. Because as Justin alluded to, this is 10 years worth of his life. Um, and it's easy for me to sit here and map out an organized play plan and go, yep, this makes perfect sense. This is super simple. But when you put it into the hands of people who are also worrying about the next Magic launch, the next Pokemon launch, um, and all these other new games coming out, they're coming out of COVID. They've got all these other things going on, and they've got a completely new style of game and a completely new style of organized play, and they're being asked to run an event before the game comes out. Uh, it was just too much. I, I think was would be kind of my summary of it, Justin. I I think maybe somewhat the same for you.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's another great lesson. And this is a lesson I reinforce in, you know, design and game design, right? That that less is more. In fact, too much innovation can be a problem because people can't understand and access what it is that's cool about your game if there's so many cool new things going on in the game design then it can be very hard for people to get to it right Whereas, opposed if you could just say hey it's like this game meets this game with this cool new hook then people can get into it right and so i think soulforge fusion is is in some sense there's just so much cool new stuff happening especially when it comes to the events and the organized play and the ways that you can interact with the game um that getting that message out has been i think the biggest challenge that we've had And so season zero in particular, in the way it ties in also because stores, don't yeah they don't have product they don't have they don't really sure what their upside is yet it's kind of like a pre-investment in building the community and building the the excitement in the store uh it was a lot to ask and and then you know there's just these channels this challenge of communication right we're working with a few key distributors to really count on them to interact with the stores and support the stores um because we can't call the you know many 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 hundreds of stores that we would need to do directly uh and that that now becomes a game of telephone to get the messaging down so it becomes even harder right i can explain the concept to you directly or you could explain it to another person directly and it can be fine but when you've got to like go through these layers uh it gets harder and harder and so it was a key lesson that we learned and and it it allows us to, to to learn and move better right we're investing a lot into this game and into this community into this organized play and some of that just like Again, relating it to the game design lessons I talk about all the time, it, you go through that iteration loop. You try stuff. You don't know if an idea is good until you try it. Right. You I don't care how smart you are. Mm. I don't care how much experience you have. A lot of you want to try something new, you're not gonna know if it's good until you try it. And so we try to run these iterations, run these little experiments. And there's also these other cool variant formats and stuff that we want to try and different kinds of ways to play that, you know, we don't know if they're good or not, but we're gonna try them and see how they go. And and then the more that people adopt them and and also vice versa, right? Like we have the players can actually bring those things to us right we encourage players to experiment and actually there's a whole thread there's a whole channel in our discord about alternate play formats that players are proposing to us and seeing how they grow organically and and we're happy to support those right the ones that players we we, we're here to provide a service to the community to let them play the way they want to play and so you know we're definitely keeping an eye out for what 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 seems like it's working that fans come up with as well as the stuff that we try that works and doesn't work and we're going to keep adjusting and and building accordingly we've got a lot of a lot of big plans and the you know the need to be adaptive to to what's working and what is isn't.
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and it's um like like well here's, here's a good example we 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 want team play right we we uh, i think we are both agreed that and I know richard was keen to have team events and i love team play. Um, I think the idea of having a team of three and going to event is very sociable. It can be competitive without being competitive because you're having fun, you, you know, y- the stories you generate exponentially more because you're sharing it as you're playing it. Um, and I love that. But at the same time, if we, in my mind, and I guess this is maybe me making sure we don't repeat what we've done is, I also don't want to alienate a bunch of people if we go, hey, first store championship, go find two friends. And that the guy who wants to come to store championship has only played online at home suddenly he's going to feel a bit oh hang on a minute i haven't met enough people from the game yet to to take part so we will absolutely be doing that and i think it will become more and more part of the game as we go forwards but we're going to kind of hold on that just a second make sure we get the game out get people playing it first and then go okay okay here's this cool team format we're going to roll out and this next door championship next league of champions it's going to be a team event you know you've got you've now got a few months to find your friends build your team test your decks let's kind of go from there
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of formats are really exciting, and we're excited about them, but they need to wait, you know, until there's a more established community before they become appropriate. Um, Mm -hmm. So I want to shift to another one of the cool things. (laughs) As we talk about there's too many unique things going on. Uh, There's another (laughs) thing that's really unique with what we're doing in the sense that, you know, many games uh have this idea of player rankings right that the the more you do in an event the better you do in an event the higher your ranking goes and you can earn status and everything and that's and of course we have that as well uh but we also have a new concept that as far as i know nobody's ever done before uh which is your deck can actually gain ranks and level up as well maybe you want to talk a little bit about that program
1: yeah the renowned yeah i'm i'm excited i love this so um uh, it it's, it kind of serves two purposes as well so I, I guess I'll let's, let's talk about what it is and then serve the, the purposes it holds um, so as you play with a fuse deck uh, and you start to do well in it um, you'll earn renown um, and when you hit a certain level of renown your deck levels up so at the start all decks are bronze um, if they finish in the top two of a bronze tier event because there's different tiering events based on their kind of hierarchy hierarchy in the in the op um ladder um if you do that three times then you'll level up to silver um, but if you went to a silver event with a bronze deck and came top two you'd instantly level up to silver uh, and the same goes for silver going up to gold um and what that does um is it's kind of like i said seven two points firstly it's cool like it's everyone wants to achieve things. There's a, a level of achievement there. You don't even, you could never win an event and level your deck up because you only have to get to the final table, right? The top two. So you could you could be that guy who's a bad beat story of your life. You always make the final, always a bridesmaid. Like you never quite win an event, but you've taken a deck all the way from bronze up to gold because you're still getting there. You're, you're doing well. Um, and that's cool. And people like to have that kind of, uh, that ability to stretch somebody to achieve beyond just the result of the event. Um, the other thing it does is it's going to help balance local games so with this procedurally generated system we have there are going to be arguably better decks than others that that's just the nature of it that's part of the fun and someone's going to find a very good combination of two decks in their local area which is very powerful now if they win a couple of local events their decks gone from bronze to silver and local tier local events or bronze tier events and bronze tier events can only have bronze tier decks so straight away, that deck is not going to continually dominate and hammer new players and make life miserable for everyone because the super competitive player and the local meta has got it and is trouncing everyone. It's going to level up and be ready to be used at the next tier. Uh, they're going to be challenged now, to go and find another deck or fuse another deck to bring to the game. So it's that's the second, arguably the more important reason for this this renowned system is we, we're not going to have to worry... About an extremely stale local meta um, that can happen. I'm thinking back to Splinter Twin in Modern Magic and being miserably stomped by my friend uh, over and over again playing Splinter Twin um, when, uh, when, until it got bad.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, the, uh, uh, yep. the ability the ability to evolve a metagame. Without having to ban cards, right? Or do something like very hmm. drastic is a really powerful tool that we have here, right? You want the best players with the best decks to be playing against the other best players in the best decks. You don't want the, you know, and then, and, and similarly, you want that kind of new player entry and experience in the local communities to be constantly fresh. And this is a tool that nobody's ever had before that I think could really empower that in a way that's really phenomenal.
1: Yeah. I think, I think what we, lessons I'd say I learned for building this having worked on KeyForge and the chain mechanic is it was just too slow. It wasn't quick enough. It wasn't responsive enough and it wasn't a big enough penalty. Um, and it just didn't really work if I'm being completely honest. Um, whereas this renowned system, the the chains always felt, the chains felt negative. You didn't feel like you'd achieved something. Um, you're like, ah, now I've got chains. Ugh. Whereas with, um, with, with the renowned system, you've achieved something like, right, I'm now in the silver deck. I, that deck I can now take to Worlds because you have to have at least a silver tier deck to go to Worlds, which is a gold tier event. So the, there is the, the negative and positive. The negative, okay, I can't play at my local, but I've now got a really cool deck that I know is good I can take to the World Championships. So it's not just a negative, which is what I feel bans are and what I feel chains were is just a negative. It this right, doesn't yeah. feel like a positive one
0: yeah the perception and we have you know that we have that if you win with a deck at your world championships you can turn your deck it can become platinum there's mechanisms for being Mm -hmm. rewarded for the cooler and better you get uh you know it's sort of it's sort of funny for me because back when i used to play magic professionally and i would you know i won a pro tour with oath of druids after which they banned oath of druids i felt like (laughs) i won the game like i did it i broke the game (laughs) you know uh and so there's this interesting uh uh this interesting kind of interplay that happens as you're uh you know succeeding and you know it, it it feels like a rewarding experience and you get prized for it as opposed to just no 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 you're you're that's banned you're blocked you're start you're stopped uh from doing the things that you want to do uh so I, I i'm very excited about that everyone i've talked to has been uh really excited about it i think it's a tool that 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 is going to really change the face of the way games are played and, and again it's something that's unique based on the technology of how we build our games but like you couldn't do something like this in a game like magic in a full traditional mm, nice. TCG because you can't like ban you or you level up a deck because the decks are all individual cards and you change one card and blah 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 but here because each half deck has to stay together uh they can gain this 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 renown that goes with them and if I s- trade you my deck you know you someone that wants to go play in the world championships you have to have a gold to your deck or you know silver tier deck at first at least and then you could you could get that from somebody else and get a chance to play And you know if you're not a very good player you're not gonna do very well but it becomes <laughs> an interesting additional way for you to like increase the value and collectability of decks and have this sort of interesting trade-off that goes on and and again just to re-clarify right the same is the the same ranking system applies whether you're playing online or in in store at at an event so your deck is registered you do well in a you know bronze or a silver tier online event your deck's going to gain the same renown from it you're going to gain the same renown from it so it really lets you it removes those barriers where somebody who could you know previously only be the someone who could physically travel to a location and play in one of these big events we're going to be having regular big events both online and in stores and at conventions you know all across the world yeah
1: yeah excited (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's so, there's so much here. Uh, And, and, and again, we're just sort of scratching the surface. Players are just now going to be able to have their, their hands on this. And uh, it's a very, uh, it's just such a wonderful time to be doing this. And, And again, I cannot express enough how glad I am to have you on our team and how much you have increased the quality level of what we're doing uh brought at a level of passion that is you know something we we value so much here and and also just to highlight to to the audience you know how much i you know I, richard and i get a lot of the FaceTime and credit for for the game but it is a incredibly powerful passionate team of people that make something like this happen and we have done it with a very shockingly small team uh all things yeah. series, right you know you think, when people think about it they think oh they must have you know dozens or hundreds of people or whatever you know we started this year i think it's like seven people on our team and now we're up to maybe 11 but it's a very uh it's a very passionate dedicated team of people that try to handle all aspects of the stuff whether it's the the mess of trying to get your product to you right we we did we had to push our launch date back twice because product got stuck in Port and it's got such a train stations and got all kinds of crazy you know, moving all that pieces through, getting all of the organized play kits down and sent to stores and communicated to stores and the programs designed, getting the event the online stuff working at all and getting it all the how your digital database works, how we algorithmically generate the decks and make sure they're all one of a kind and track everything. It's just an incredible team of people who have worked so hard. Uh, and so I hope everybody out there gets a chance to at least, you know, try the game. Again, if you want to go to your local stores, you can buy it now. You can find them on SoulForgeFusion.com, uh, the store locator. You can can also play for free on tabletop simulator. There's a Soulforge Fusion mod that's 100 free that includes decks in it. We change all the time. Join our Discord, come play. Um, so, are there other things that uh, that come to mind for you, Alex, that uh, that you want to share, whether it be about our program or about uh, you know organized play in general? Uh, before we wrap up.
1: No, I think we could do. We could talk another half an hour about the, what's coming <laughs> if, if that was yeah, what yeah, we we're yeah. talking about. But I think I don't think that's really, really, really worth the merit. What I would say is, uh, by the time this is live, our organised play webpage dedicated should be live and that'll be soulforgefusion.com forward slash organized dash play um, and in there we're going to have video guides for tournament organizers for setting up so if you're a store owner and you're not 100% sure how the software works there'll be video guides in there that's where you'll find the tournament regulations it's where you'll find all the information you need and if for whatever reason you can't find the answer to something there'll be an email address there for you to ping it'll come straight through to me and um, we'll, we'll get the information you need so that's I've been working on that this week um, should be live but it should be ready to go live at the end this week and should be up and running when the product comes so, out
0: so it'll be up by the time you guys hear this so uh yep. hopefully everything will be all set and going so fantastic <laughs> alex thanks so much for being here and even more thank you so much for being a part of this team i, I cannot express no. enough how grateful i am and uh how excited i am to see the world uh get to see your work and for us all to get to be together and hopefully meet many of you all in the audience uh at pax unplug december 2nd to the 4th and many more fun events in the future so Thanks, Thank Alex. You. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you wanna support the podcast, please rate, comment, and share on your favorite podcast platforms, such as iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever device you're listening on. Listener reviews and shares make a huge difference and help us grow this community and will allow me to bring more amazing guests and insights to you. I've taken the insights from these interviews along with my 20 years of experience in the game industry and compressed it all into a book with the same title as this podcast.